Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie fam. Today we are joined by Sama Dada. She is a avid recipe developer, a food photographer. She is a cookbook author of Dada Eats, Love to Cook It. And she is also the host of the Today Show original digital series, Hashtag Cooking. She is fucking awesome. That goes without saying, but this conversation is one I really love because, you know, coming into the episode, I thought we were going to talk mainly about food and her platform and, you know, how she got to where she is. But we dive into a lot of, honestly, the mental health aspect of this industry and what we're dealing with and imposter syndrome and the constant feeling of being behind and comparing ourselves to others on social media and everything that goes into creating this content and just our general emotions around the job because it can be a lot no matter how blessed we feel and how grateful we are like they, it's still a lot of work. Um, Sama started at the Today Show in the production side. She was a NBC page and she was in the rotational program. She was working on the Today Show and and simultaneously she was running at Dada Eats as a complete hobby and it just started to really take off. She talks all about the hard work that went into all of this and she got recognized by the producers and her worlds kind of merged in a really incredible way. And her life is right now something that she never could have dreamed because she really didn't see her career heading this way and in such an incredible path. And I'm so proud of her success and amazed by her work ethic. And she's just freaking awesome. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and make sure you give Sama a follow over at Dada Eats. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one to me. Freckle foodie and friends, talking about life's odds and ends. Throw away your hesitations, have unfiltered conversations. If you've got an ear to lend, here's Freckle Foodie and Friends. Sama, thank you for joining Freckle Foodie and Friends. I'm very excited to have you on here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Of course. I think we've, I don't know if you remember, but we met once at a really, it was like some random freaking small expo type of event, I think. Yes, but I've been following you. Yeah, it was random. Um, but I've been following <laughs> you for a while. And as someone who's like dream, 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 dream has always been to be on the Today Show, I have idolized. Which you everything. did. I did. Yes. And it was the, I mean, highlight of my career. Thank you. Um, 
But I am just so amazed by everything you're doing. And I have so many freaking questions. I want to hear all about your journey, getting on there, what you're doing now, the cookbook. I mean, your ability to continue to create recipes because creativity, like for me, I'm just like, I tap out. I'm like, I I can't think of anything else. I feel you. Um, there's so much to discuss. So for anyone who's kind of listening, who is not familiar with your page or you in general, can you give us a small pitch on what you do in the food space? Yeah, of course. So, um, my page and my brand name is called Dada Eats. Pretty easy to remember. It's my last name, Dada, D-A-D-A, kind of like maybe if you like called your dad that one time in your (laughs) life or your grandpa, really simple to, to get. But no, um, Dada Eats for me really started as a hobby. So I was really interested in pursuing a career in media or broadcast journalism, maybe reporting, entertainment reporting, something like that. Um, And so that was kind of the direction I thought my career was headed in. Um, And it kind of took a turn. I started Dada Eats, my Instagram account, as sort of a place to put all the food I was eating while interning at CNN for a summer in New York. Literally everything from like my ice cream to my pizza. Um, And and honestly, it was really just to clear my camera roll. I was like, this is getting aggressive. Like, we got to put this somewhere. Um, And it kind of escalated and turned into something that, I didn't even think was possible. Um, My first job out of college was at the um, NBC page program. So I was a page there. um, And then later a production assistant on the Today Show. Meanwhile, production assistant, meanwhile, building Dada Eats. And at that point, I had started developing recipes and creating my own uh, recipes and content. It wasn't just restaurants. And, um, you know, it it had amassed a bit of a following at that point. And the producer sort of saw it and took notice of it and started booking me on the show as a guest, which at that point, I was like, maybe 20. 23, 24, like it was beyond what I like even dreamt for myself. Like I just didn't even think it was possible, you know? So especially as, you know, a young um, woman, a young woman of color, like I didn't see a lot of people who look like me on screen, especially in food media. So it just felt like a total um, dream. And and, and from there, I know that you said short, Cameron, but that was a really long um, bio. (laughs) Um, But yeah, now we're we're here today. Oh my God. I mean, when someone asks me for my bio, I'm like, I could go on for a half hour or very quickly in a minute. Um, So I want to dive back in the beginning first, before we go into what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Has food always been a big part of your life? Like I similarly started Freckled Foodie posting only about like restaurant food kind of, and it was the same thing. I just wanted to clear my camera roll. And then I started creating recipes and that was honestly just my place to put them. Now my page is honestly almost completely verged off of food in a way. But I'm curious, like in your childhood, was your house always focused on food? Was it a big part of your life or was this something that you found a love for later on? It's so interesting to like think about the evolution of like what you kind of start out doing and how that can kind of so turn into so many different things. Um, but yes, food was always a really big part of my life. I'm Indian. I grew up having Indian food on the table every single night, no matter what anyone in my family was doing. Dinner was like the like you must sit down at dinner time. Like we never did TV dinners. We never did like we're watching TV and we're like doing this, and one person is is doing something and is at work or at school or. Uh, dinner was like our unit time to be together and to eat. So I always 
held such a sense of importance in that. And I think still to this day, like I, I, I revel in that sort of active gathering that at the gathering people cooking for friends, cooking for loved ones. I think that has always been really important to me. Um, and you know, no shade to my younger sister, uh, Suha, who I love and adore, but she was never helping my mom in the kitchen. It was always me. So I think from there, you know, I, I was always watching my mom cook. I was always interested in what she was doing. And when I went to Berkeley for college, I, you know, was so taken by the food scene there. And like I said, you know, I was just posting photos of food and different things. Um, but I also kind of found this merging of food and 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 media together i i created a a little series on food in the mission district of san francisco for my school's tv station and that was kind of the first time in my life i had even considered blending the two together um and so yeah food has always been a a really big big part of my life it's interesting because i've never thought about this I've, i've mentioned it on my show and page but i out of college or in college when I was interning, I really wanted to be in sports broadcasting. I was so interested Mm. in the broadcasting aspect. I wanted to be on TV and I was like, well, sports are what I know and what I love. And I ended up working in finance, so completely different realm. But I joke that like, (laughs) so different, but I joke (laughs) that like now I have the microphone in my hand and I found my way Mm. back. Um, But it's really interesting and amazing that you were able to find like these two things that you loved and combined them at a young age, but now, especially for your career, like what was the driving force for your interest in the production aspect of things? Yeah. You know what? Like I always wanted to be kind of either reporting or somewhere where I was sort of, I guess, like I love the performance aspect of broadcast and broadcast TV and production. Like I was also interested in like acting growing up. So I think that sort of was another thing where I was like, Hmm, like, I don't know if I want to do acting as a profession, but I also love to write. I love journalism. It felt like a really natural marriage between the two and Mm -hmm. production. You know, I I think if you want to be a reporter, if you want to be in front of the camera, you, you know, start a small local station, you work your way up. You're like reporting on fallen trees and parking lots in Fresno. Like (laughs) I knew that that was like the track, but I didn't really want to do that. And I just felt like, and maybe this is naive for me too. I was like, I really just want to get a grasp on TV in general, production, anything that I could get my hands on to sort of see how I could maybe like create a career from there. Um, It was by no means like this kind of plan or I never had the, I guess, intention to do what I'm doing now. Like it just literally wasn't even on my radar. I didn't think it was possible, I think. And that was the thing, you know, I I really thought, and I think a lot of people say, you know, there's certain paths for things, right? Like you do A, B, C, and then you can get to this place. Um, And I just don't think that's true at all. Like I think had I had this like very concrete plan, um, I wouldn't be in the position or doing the career that I am pursuing today. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a really interesting kind of, uh, turn of events, a little plot twist, if you will. Yeah. And honestly, what you said really resonates with me because it's something I struggle with in this industry. When people ask, Oh, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, Mm -hmm. I have no freaking idea. (laughs) And part of me is terrified by that because again, we've been taught from such a young age to like structure and schedule and, uh, and really have these goals in mind. And once you reach X goal, you can get to Y. 
But in this industry specifically, like I can't speak for all all industries, but Mm -hmm. for ours specifically, you have to be so adaptable and things can happen so quickly. And like, you know, this is just one example, but think about an app like TikTok. If you would ask Mm -hmm. someone a year ago, what's your career plan? They didn't even know what TikTok was. And then suddenly they blow up on TikTok and now they're in this industry. So you really can't Mm -hmm. plan to a certain degree. Do you find comfort or fear in that? (laughs) I would say a combination of both because I am very much a planner in general. Like I'll have friends that are really spontaneous and I'm like, no, we have a reservation at this place on Thursday night at 730. And then after we're going to go to ice cream at Van Loon and we're going to get this. Like, that's like how I am generally. Like, like I know, I don't know what's going on here. What's been happening? Um, But yeah, you know, I think that I've had to learn, right, to accept the fact that it can't be like that. I feel like I really had to train myself to be okay with the unknown, especially as a planner and especially as somebody who is like a bit type A and always kind of, you know, likes to know what I'll be doing. And another thing that I had to remind myself, I mean, speaking of just the complete like explosion of different platforms like TikTok and and all these different modes of of showcasing people's content and their creativity. I had to be okay with being like, okay, Sama, like this is your path. Like you cannot compare yourself to anyone else's path. You cannot compare yourself to what anyone else is doing. Like I I really tell myself that honestly every day because it is really easy to compare in this industry and it's really easy to feel like you're always behind. I I was telling a friend the other day, I was I, I was kind of in a I guess like a phase of of burnout. I've started talking a lot more about my mental health on my Instagram, which was something that I would have never done like a year ago. Um, And feeling like, you know, sometimes I just wake up and I feel behind. Like I wake up and I'm like, wow, I'm behind. Like, look at like XYZ, like all these people are doing this. And I just woke up and I'm rolling out of bed and somebody has already had like 12 recipes posted. Like that kind of thing is really hard to train yourself to not listen to and to tune out. Um, So I think that to answer your question in this very long winded way, um, I've started to become okay with the unknown. And I wouldn't necessarily be say like, okay, I think I'm just like dealing with it because you kind of have to. Yeah. And it's something I struggle with a lot. It's always been an anxiety trigger for me, the unknown. And then Mm -hmm. I entered this job and it's all so unknown, (laughs) even like the financial aspect of it. Like you can Mm -hmm. estimate, but honestly, it's not like you're getting a guaranteed paycheck every other week. And that's what I was used to. Um, But I think what you said really resonates with me. And as we're recording this for people listening, this is during my like social media break. And I just had to step away from the apps because exactly like you said, every day I woke up and I felt behind. And Mm -hmm. for me, I've been struggling a lot with accepting that I have to change my expectations given Mm -hmm. that I'm a new mom and things have changed and there are new priorities. But it's really easy to compare and critique and get down on yourself when like our jobs Mm -hmm. are so public in a way. And you know, you're not seeing every other person in your industry's success and highlights and partnerships or whatever it may be every single second of every day when you're in another Mm -hmm. industry. But ours, you open the app to either put content out there or to even just see what your friends are up to or Mm -hmm. just because social media is like a fun thing that our generations are used to and you're immediately hit with other creators doing things and it's nothing that they're doing wrong, but it's 
our mental state that's going immediately to, oh my God, how did they get that? Or how are they doing this? Or shit, I have to do more of X, Y, Z. And it's something I'm really, really having a hard time with. Yeah. I mean, completely. I think that is the nature of this industry, right? And even the entertainment industry too. Like I think even on a bigger scale, like you look at at filmmakers or actors and all this stuff, it's like, it's a very visible field to be in and you're, you know, everything is very quantifiable. And I think that's something that I, you know, at least up until this point, I should like knock on wood, but I've done an okay job, at least internally of like not attaching my worth or my work to that, because it is very easy to do that. And Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well, you know, you know, like at the end of the day, right? Like if you are putting out something that you are proud of, that you worked hard on, it shouldn't matter what other people are saying about right. it or however many people liked it. But again, this is the society we live in where it's like very quantifiable to see what people are re- responding to and what people aren't. When certain people are going viral, like there's certain things you you would never even expect that that would take off, right? So I think that if all of that is really removed and you just really pare down what you're doing and be proud of everything you put out. And I found as well like um, that, you know, there's some times where I'm just like, am I even having fun with this anymore? Like I, I mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm just, I'm just creating to, to keep up. Like I'm not even creating, like, I feel like I, I had lost in this like couple of weeks of like my burnout. Actually, honestly, after the cookbook, I felt a bit burned out, but in general, like I, I just want to kind of return to that state of having fun with everything that I do. Um, and not that I don't, I like feel so, so, so grateful to like do what I do and I love it so much, but I think it's very natural to feel burned out and to feel like, okay, like let's just bring the joy back to work. Cause for me, and I think for you too, like this wasn't like supposed to be my job. Like right. this was a hobby that I love. Like now I don't have any hobbies because <laughs> I'm like, this is my, this is my job. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm so grateful, right? Like that's like the dream and I feel like I am living it, but it also takes a lot of, I guess, um, work to really detach yourself from a lot of outcomes. So I think absolutely. And I think there are a few things where one, I do believe that our generation has been sold this lie that you have to love every aspect of your career. And I was talking about this with a friend who's in this industry. And she's like, yeah, it's awesome that we get to do this as a job. It's really freaking cool. And it is. But at the same time, we need to accept that we're not going to love every aspect of it. Because for Mm -hmm. me, when I don't love certain aspects, whether it's like the emailing or the editing of things, you know, like Mm -hmm. those kind of tasks, when I don't enjoy those... I get so in my head of like, oh, but I left my job because I thought mm-hmm. I was going to love this. And it's like, I have to accept that I, there are going to be certain tasks that I don't love as much and it mm-hmm. is a job. And I have to remind myself that this is my job. And I'm not saying that you should ever dread your work. Like that's when you really should reassess. But you don't have to wake up every single second before every single task and be overly excited and skipping to get there. It's more of a like, I love the majority and some tasks are a little mundane, but they are what they are. It is a job. And I think the more I'm accepting that, the more freedom I feel to like allow myself to feel those ways almost. Cause I think for Mm -hmm. me, I feel guilty when I feel that way. Um, But also 
for me, I really, really am trying to find more joy, honestly, and leaning into parts of this job that I do enjoy more and doing more of those instead of focusing on what other people are doing and feeling I need to do that. Because, you know, my account started as food. And when I look at people's accounts who have created these incredible portfolios of recipes and have gone on to do these great things such as yourself, it's really easy for me to be like, Cam, why'd you stop that? Like you need to do more recipes. You need to do more of this. But then I remember like, that's not what makes me happy right now. Yeah. And, and you're you and I'm right. me. Yes, and like we exactly. have such, and everyone, right? Like we have such separate paths that really don't dip into each other at all. Like I think that is an illusion as well. It's like you could be creating recipes. I could be creating recipes, but like there is like, there are two lanes for us, right? Like we're just like, like we're just traveling on our own little lanes. And like, I think it's amazing that you have the courage to pivot or even sometimes pivot to things that feel more authentic to you because otherwise you're going to feel super inauthentic with what you're doing. If you're not actually like, this like doesn't resonate with me. Like I respected so much your, the kind of way you talked about, needing some time off. Cause I think so many people could relate to that. And I even, I even emailed you. I was like, this, like I, this was so important to, to share. And I think that if more people like, you know, don't glamorize every aspect of, of life, um, I think that's important. And, and I totally resonate with what you're saying because I consider myself a very, very positive person, but like I have bad days like all the mm-hmm. time because I'm a human being. Like if I didn't right. have a bad day and if I were like chipper and optimistic and like happy and positive all the time, I would annoy myself. Like that's not real. Agreed. You know what I mean? Yes. And I'm curious because you actually said something that I say all the time of like, I lost my hobby because my hobby became my job. So have you found things that you (laughs) have found joy in outside of work? Honestly, that's so crazy that we even have to talk about that. But really, like, do you have hobbies that you found? It's a great question. My sister was like, what do you do for fun? (laughs) The other day I was like, hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, No, like, so here's the thing, right? Like, it is such a blessing. I like am so grateful every day that I get to create food and recipes and and do stuff like that I love first and foremost as a hobby for a living. It's insane. Like, I just sometimes I'm like, I don't understand why me, you know? So that's another imposter syndrome is another thing that I I want to get to that. Yeah, we should get to. Yeah. but. you know, that's a great question. And I think that I've found like, it's kind of interesting. A lot of my hobbies have sort of returned to like the origin of Dada Eats. And like, I am obsessed with like traveling, finding new spots, sharing them, like trying new dishes, getting inspired by like, kind of, I guess it is a, a an arm of the job, but I think really doubling down on like, okay, like where can I get a really nice coffee today? Or where can I find inspiration in a different meal? I think that act of like returning to like the roots of Dada Eats and sharing different mm-hmm. restaurant content, that's what I, I really love. And I would consider that a hobby. And then also like, I know this is crazy, but like walking, Oh yeah, <laughs> is that a hobby? That's yeah. embarrassing that I said walking's a hobby. I don't no, know. You can hobby. keep it in, but <laughs> I go on a walk like every day. It's a hobby. It's also a form yes. of like therapy. Like we just need totally to get the heck out. And totally. it also, you're not looking at your phone while you're walking. Totally. I feel like that has been so meditative for me is finding just like, and, and 
I was very in New York when I was there full time. I just like was so caught up in the energy of it that I was always like boxing or doing spin or things that were really high intensity and like high cortisol boosting. And now I've like, I literally barely do any of those things anymore. I walk, I do like very like low impact exercise and Pilates. And those are also so fun. And I would also consider those hobbies for me too, but like it's affected my mental like state so much because I think if you're not focusing on like how you're feeling or listening to how your body responds to certain things, like if you're not in tune in that way, like you're not really like living your best life. Um, that was a completely pivot from that was a pivot no, from what we were this, talking uh, about. Do you friends pivot. Um, <laughs> this, this entire show is pivots. And every time anyone <laughs> says pivot, I say that friends quote. But I am totally with you. And honestly, finding small like pockets of joy in my day mm-hmm. or things that I consider hobbies and going for a walk is one of them. I've honestly been really into reading over the past two years. Love like that. easy beach reads, like YA novels, because Love it's it. just like an escape for me. It, and it, yeah. it's, it, it's, I don't know. I would consider that a hobby. Um, that is. Love it. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to imposter syndrome because this is mm-hmm. something I deal with a lot. And I am curious your journey with it, especially and I don't want to put this on you, so this could be totally my projection, but if I were in your shoes, I think I would have felt confusion given that you were pro- like you were in just, I think, switching roles within the Today Show. Like if I had been still at JP Morgan and switched roles, I think in my new role, I would almost feel an imposter in because it was different than the one I was in before. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so here's like the thing with that, right? Like I was waking up at three in the morning, I'd get to work at four, I'd work in the control room all day. Um, After the show was over, I'd go back to the office, I'd write the scripts for the next day and and build the show's rundown. And then I would come home at like 2pm and like cook, right? So that was my day every day, I'd go to sleep at 8pm. I barely saw my friends, I worked so hard. Still stayed up until eight because that's yeah I know like, I know and <laughs> that being said too like I couldn't even fall asleep at eight eight thirty because my right. body was like so overstimulated um, and so when I look at that and the way that I built my page while also having a full time job that was like unusually demanding um, I can really you know I guess pat myself on the back and say like you deserve that because of course like, you did. Yeah. And, you know, I had to tell myself that too, because yeah, of course, like I'm 23, 24. Um, I have never been on national television before. And then all of a sudden I was on it all the time. And that was in addition to the very demanding nature of the job that I was already doing. And I think that that was just a testament to hard work and also no expectations because I didn't expect, Mm -hmm. nor did I plan for that to happen because I was so focused on doing both of my my job really well, my hobby really well. I wanted to excel at both of those and I didn't think I could bring them together. And when it did, at first, of course, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I don't even understand like why they would even do this. Like, I'm young, I'm like fresh on the scene. But at, at the end of the day, right? Like, I think I had really 
worked for that in a way that I didn't even know I was working of for. And um, I think from an outsider's perspective, I mean, it's obvious why they chose you because like you said, yes, like you're young and you're new and you're fresh, but like that's also really exciting for a consumer and mm-hmm. you clearly work your butt off and they knew your work ethic. They knew how wonderful you were. They were seeing it firsthand. So it's obvious from an outsider, but did it feel confusing and maybe you weren't doing this for long. I don't know the exact timeline, but did it feel confusing doing both aspects within the Today Show? It was definitely a lot of work. And I think that was interesting because I would have to have like other production assistants cover my shift when I was going to be on the show right. and like have like them run scripts to like the anchors instead of me running the scripts of the anchors. So I think that was like just a interesting thing to kind of observe. But I mean, obviously, I was so grateful. And I think that I really credit, you know, the producers of the show and and everyone, the whole team, like they are my family. And I think I, I just like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I was given, because not only was it beyond my wildest dreams, but it also in my head showed me that like, I could do this. And because I didn't see a lot of people that look like me on screen, because I'd grown up in like, my only like idol on television was princess Jasmine. Cause she like mildly looked like me and she wasn't even a real person. Like mm-hmm. that showed me like, this is really cool because now hopefully there are some like young Indian girls out there and boys or whoever who can look at me and, and show, you know, see that I'm cooking with Indian spices and flavors and, and showing just like my self in its fullest form and feel like, okay, like, cool. I could, I could do that too. Cause I just, I didn't think I could cause I, I never had seen it done. And I don't think, I mean, it wasn't being done if we're being honest or it wasn't on mainstream no. television that we were consuming as kids. Um, so where exactly do you feel your imposter syndrome in today's world? Yeah, I think, you know what, it, it is really interesting and I've worked really hard to try to combat it. But I think in general, when I look at the work that I've done and the career that I've built for myself. Um, I'm just really grateful, but I'm also, you know, I think those feelings of imposter syndrome definitely do kick in because it's, it's interesting to see a a big audience care about what you're doing or like care about Mm -hmm. your recipes or make your recipes or buy your book or watch your show. It's like, why me kind of thing. I think that's really um, definitely creeps in sometimes. And I also am, I'm a pretty private person. I'm like a pretty, um, I grew up very, very shy. Like I think this kind of side of me was always sort of waiting to come out. So it's kind of cool to, to really live that. But also I sometimes like return back to that like version of myself where I'm like, wow, like this is like pretty wild. I don't know why people care. Um, but then I always have to talk myself into thinking like, you know, Sama, like you worked hard for this and you built this on your own with no help. And um, I think I'm trying to train my brain into um, rewriting that narrative for myself instead of being like, oh, like, why would you deserve this? Or like, why you being like, oh, it makes sense that it's you like you did this, you know, no one else did Mm -hmm. it for you. And I think it goes back to what you said in the beginning of like us being in our own lanes. And you said to me, like, you're you like, I can give that right back to you. Like you are you. That's the reason people want to follow you or consume your content or buy your book or whatever it might be because they're interested in you specifically and like no one else can be that person. And I mean, I have the same feelings that you have. Everything you just said, I feel 
all the time. It's like, why yeah. does anyone actually care? And mm. I feel still weird when people ask me what my job is. I'm like, I talk about my life on social <laughs> media. And like, for some reason, people care. I don't, I honestly still don't understand it. Um, because you're I, so vulnerable. Like, I think that's oh, a really you. big thing too, right? Like, I'm learning to to share more vulnerable aspects of my life as well. And it's so crazy. And I'm sure you saw this too, when like your whole evolution of your brand and, and your page, like people really tap into vulnerability and like, honestly, how you're feeling. Like, mm-hmm. I never thought people would care about how I'm feeling. I told, like, I talked about my polycystic ovary syndrome, like diagnosis and all this stuff the other week on, on Instagram. I got like the most DMs I've like ever gotten. And I was just like, what? Like, I just never thought things that feel so private. I'm sure to you too, people resonate so much with, because it's not talked about a lot. Like we don't always talk about the stuff that we're going through because it is so much easier to feel happy and show that off in those highlights of our lives instead of paring it down to like, I really woke up and I felt so anxious today that I just could not even do anything. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Totally. I think it's because we have been told that social media or have been shown that social media is a highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason vulnerability resonates with so many and brings out a different type of audience and a different type of response is because we all want to feel less alone. Yeah. In all honesty, 100%. like whenever something bad happens or you're sad or you're upset, the first feeling I know personally is that I feel like I'm alone in this and I'm the only one and it's permanent mm-hmm. and why me? And that's not reality. And I say this all the time. I think if we all expressed our hardships and were vulnerable about our emotions, we would realize mm-hmm. that someone else is going through something very similar and like find solid, not solid, find, I don't know what the term is, but like companionship almost yeah, in that. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it's it's very interesting to me. And I, I want to go back just when you were speaking about how like you didn't see someone like yourself on TV at a mm-hmm. young age and your Indian heritage. In today's world, this is something I'm very interested in, in the food space. Like w- what are your thoughts, I guess, is the way of putting this. But I do think that a lot of the wellness industry has been completely whitewashed. And I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. alone in thinking that. That's obviously been a discussion over the past year or so. But what are your thoughts on how different cultures have kind of been taken and turned into these like overpriced, white focused results, whether it be in products or in recipes or? In, in that matter. I'm having a hard time wording my question. Yeah, no, like, I know what exactly. I'm yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think there's a huge difference between cultural appreciation and appropriation. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of the wellness industry, unfortunately, has taken to a lot of the appropriation um, in a way of selling something that maybe was taken from a different culture or has been, you know, like you said, like kind of taken out of its roots in a context of selling something that is under the guise of wellness. Um, and I think that it's, it's difficult to, to see folks profiting off of something that is very innate to a certain culture, um, mm-hmm. whether it be your own or someone else's. And 
you know what? I think like it's very much time for people, whether that's Indian women or any other women, Asian women or men, just diaspora in general, right? To share their own stories and their own food um, without like other people telling our stories. And I think mm-hmm. like, you know, there's certain things like golden milk, for example, which is haldi dude, which has been around in Indian culture for ever. Um, and it is tough to see people profiting off of those kinds of things under a, a wellness guise. But I think if we focused more on like, okay, this is where this is from. Like, let's talk about the origin of this. Let's give credit to where it w- it came from and then go into like whatever it is. I think appreciating it in that way versus just taking it as your own is a completely um, different ball game for sure. Yeah. And I, to be very clear, I asked this question as someone who has a hundred percent in the past four years posted recipes on my site that are for like curries or stir, stir mm. fries that are not including the actual ingredients that were once used and also like no reference of the origin. So it's something that I have hundred percent had to unpack. So I'm not asking this question as someone who's like, well, I never did this. Like I was a part of yeah. the problem. I'm very aware. Well, of it, I think that's really I- great to even admit to that, right? Because a lot of people don't. And like, you know, if you are making a curry or something inspired by Indian food or, or whatever, the Indian as an example, because that's where mm-hmm. I kind right. of gravitate towards, like, tell us where you got it from. Tell us where the spices are from. Tell us where that dish originated from. I think giving that context back um, and also leaving room for people who, you know, grew up with that kind of food on their table to tell their stories too. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a kind of issue that's been pretty pervasive in media and food media for a really long time. And I, I hope that we're kind of um, able to crack that a bit. Yeah, I think it's starting, but there's yeah. still a lot that has to be done. A lot of work, yeah. A lot of yeah. work to do. Speaking of Indian food, just because I love Indian food and I'm genuinely <laughs> curious, where's your favorite Indian food in New York City? Ooh, that is a really tough question. Um, There's a lot of very delicious Indian food, and I would say there's so many, but I'm going to pick a South Indian restaurant called Saravana Bhavan, which is a very long name, but best dosas, best South Indian breakfast food. um, That's kind of my spot that I go to um, for for South Indian food, which is amazing. I'm going to have to check it out. You'll have to check it out. We can go together when I'm back. Yes, when you're back. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So more now that we're speaking on food specifically, can you tell us about your new book? And I just don't even understand how you possibly were able Again, like I said in the beginning, like how have you – no wonder you hit a like burnout because <laughs> I don't understand how creatively you were able oh. to run your account and your website and all social media while simultaneously and secretly <laughs> writing this book and all of these recipes. Like how the hell did you manage that? Well, first, what are the recipes in your book? Well, thank you for saying that because I think that was one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people didn't know that I did because I didn't talk about the entire process. I fully wrote the book in secret. I didn't even show, obviously my family knew I was writing a book, but I showed like no one, nothing. Like it was just me. I like turned into my editor. I was like, all right, I hope this is, <laughs> hope this is okay. I just wanted to have like so everything. Different. Yeah. I just wanted to have like my entire like stamp on it. I wanted to be like super authentic to me. Um, but I admire yes, that. The, Thank you. Um, the book is probably like 
the thing that I'm like most proud of that I've created um, thus far in my career. It is a hundred plus plant-based recipes that are both inspired by the food that I ate growing up, inspired by my travels, um, inspired by comfort foods, the type of things that you'll see on my Instagram, but like taken up a notch to a level where it's a book that I would want people to keep in their kitchen as like a kitchen companion, whether it's for like sides or apps or breakfast or lunch, snacks, dessert, like everything. Um, it has all of that in there. And of course, I knew that like if I was getting the opportunity to write a book, I really wanted to write because that was kind of the impetus for everything for me, like writing and, and wanting to be in this space because of it. So I made it a point to write head notes for every single book and also personal essays that are a bit more vulnerable, talking about kind of how I grew up where I grew up, how it informed my cooking and how it informs like what people see in the book as well. I love that a lot. And I think I already know it's amazing because I love all of your recipes, but I think especially the personal essays and that aspect of a cookbook really interests me. And I've honestly been leaning in a lot more to the writing side of things recently. I've been turning to creative writing as a more like mental release for me. Love and that. then being really proud of the result. And so who knows, maybe there's something that happens with that in the future in my five-year yeah. plan, quote unquote. Love um, but I love when people bring themselves to these projects because again, going back to what we've said this entire time, like you are the reason that someone is going to buy that book compared to or instead of any other cookbook out there. Um, like your voice, your inspiration, they want your specific product. And I think showing people the information and the background and again, the vulnerability that's going into these things makes them connect even more with that end result. Totally. I think that's so true. And it, it is really difficult because it's a very vulnerable and personal thing to put out there. And it also is one of those things where like, I love control. <laughs> like I love having yeah. it over every aspect of my work. And you know, when you release a book, you can have control up until a certain up until a certain point with everything that you put in there. But then, when you put it out, you have zero control over how people it's are going to react, what they're going to say. It's out there; you can't do anything about it. It's printed; it's in writing. You're done. You know. So I think it was a really interesting process for me to relinquish that control and be like, you know what? Like, like I was saying earlier, if. I'm proud of this book and if I'm proud of everything that I put in there and I, you know, really made sure of that, like at the end of the day, I'm going to release all expectations for what I want the book to be. And as well, like, I think I've always been, I guess, like a very like success driven, ambitious person, like from a young age, like I'd cry if I got an A minus on a test. Like that was also probably my Indian upbringing, to be honest. But um, no, I think that I had to really redefine my version of success for this book. Like it wasn't for me a number of books sold. It wasn't like getting on like any sort of publication and their listicle or whatever. It was like, if I get this book out and if like my mom is proud and if my dad reads it and loves it, um, then that's going to be like, my version of success. Yeah. And I really appreciate that because I'm trying to let go of expectations and control. And for me, I feel my podcast is 
similarly where it's like it's out there and then yeah, th- there's no control. Like with Instagram stories, I could say whatever the hell I want and I'm just like whatever because they're gone in 24 hours or it's I can going delete away. it. You know, it's gone. It's disappeared, um, yeah. which isn't actually true because nothing disappears in the internet, but you no. get the Oof. idea. Um, <laughs> but the podcast is something that I feel so like – I don't know what the word is, but like sometimes I want to crawl under my sheets because I'm like, oh God, what are people going to think? Or like, what is the feedback going to be on that episode? Or who's going to write a review? Like that all just seems so public and so out of my control. So I really respect, but also resonate with what you're saying because it's really hard to do. And I applaud you for being able to do it. Thank you. And like, you know, like anything else, it's, it's difficult to train your brain. Like I feel like I've had to like unlearn so many things like so much from like in this career also through COVID, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm a completely different person. And I think the best thing that I've learned for anything is like just to really detach expectations, <laughs> like have no expectations for anything you do, because if you're happy with it, cool. Like that, you should expect highly of yourself. Like that's kind of how I've sort of trained myself to, to work and to operate is like, I have very high expectations for myself and the quality of work that I put out. But like, I'm not going to have expectations with an outcome because like, I literally can't control that as much as I would like to. I cannot control that. So, you know, I think it's really important to, to do that. And, you know, if COVID was like any sort of example for us at all, that we cannot plan anything. um, I think that's really all we have to sort of hold on to. I'm with you 100%. I just had this conversation (laughs) with my husband where I look at some of the most beautiful things in my life that have happened, Liam being one of them. He was not Mm -hmm. a planned pregnancy. And the fact that that changed my life in such a positive way is testament. We cannot plan every aspect of things. Things happen and adapting. And I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I believe you can you control how you react to situations mm-hmm. and 100%. that's the best we can do. Um, thank you so much for coming on here and for having this conversation. This was so wonderful. For people who are listening who want more of you, where is the best place to find you? Well, thank you for having me, Cameron. This is really nice. And you can find me at Dada Eats on Instagram. Um, my book is also called Dada Eats. Love to cook it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be cooking those uh, recipes. Yes. Amazing. Everything will be in the show notes, you guys. So definitely go check it out. And I, of course, will link the book. So make sure you get your hands on a copy. Sama, thank you so much. Thank you, Cameron. Hey, fam. I'm coming at you from Momcation. I'm in a really fucking good mood. Um, I know I mentioned that we were doing this last week, but basically I am on a mini trip with two of my closest girlfriends who also have babies One is nine months old and one is like about a year and a half. And the three of us were just like, you know what? We need some time alone without our partners and without our dogs and without our babies. And we just need some time to relax, to not be touched and to have no fucking schedule. And we are at one of the girls' in-laws' parents' house or in-laws' house, um, in like kind of upstate New York area and Honestly, it's been magical. We just are doing nothing. And like to have time 
that is not filled with tasks or constantly wondering like what time of the day it is or what needs to be done next or when Liam's going to wake up or when we have to feed or bath time, like all of those things just for 48 hours, not having to worry about them. It's pretty glorious. I'm not going to lie to you. And you know, this came at a perfect time. I just feel like all of us, but specifically, I just felt so burnt out and tired and just like run down, honestly, between parenting and work and everything. And I also think that I'm experiencing some hormonal shifts post wean, which like a lot of people warned me about. So thank you for the warning. Um, I definitely am noticing it physically. I'm noticing it like I'm really bloated and like I almost feel like I'm getting my period and like maybe I am. I don't know. Um, but I also think it could just be all the hormones from like stopping breastfeeding. But also emotionally, I'm feeling it. I had like a really sad day recently and I'm just a little on edge and short fused and kind of angry at times. I don't know. A lot of ups and downs, which isn't that surprising or new to me for postpartum. But I do think there's a lot of hormonal stuff going on. Um, but my boobs are officially dry. So let's give a round of applause for that. I am so happy. I, as you guys know, I mean, I loved the act of breastfeeding, but I really did not enjoy any other aspect of it. And it was hard for me to wrap my head around how much it was impacting my mental health until I'm on the other side of it. And it's so obvious to me now. And the weaning process was a journey, like harder than I could have ever imagined. I kind of just thought you decide one day when you want to stop. And that's not the case at all. It took a long time. Um, But my boobs are officially dry and like, I know that sounds wild, but the other day I slept with no bra on and I woke up and I walked into the kitchen and it was the first time in five months I didn't have to worry about my nipples leaking breast milk everywhere. And it was glorious. Just that feeling was so wonderful. And the freedom it has given me to be able to leave the home and have someone else feed Liam has been honestly life-changing. I mean, I'm able to just be the best version of myself to therefore be the best version of a mother for him. And, you know, I said this in one of my things, like I need to fill my cup up so that his cup is overflowing. And for us, that looks like switching to formula. And I'm just so glad that we have made that change. Honestly, I'm so, so glad. Um, I also was just talking about this with my therapist, Yay Therapy. I feel like recently with this freedom and more time on my hands. I've had time to create and not just react and speak with people in the industry and just honestly spend time with myself and my thoughts and explore and get creative. And I had two things. I I feel like with this time, I've been able to think about what I want to do in the future and be more creative and not just wake up and have to do the bare minimum and to get through the day. And with that creativity, it's unlocked some new ideas for me. And then I also feel like I had this kind of epiphany the other night where I was shooting sponsor content and it was the end of the night and I had had a bad day and I never enjoy shooting sponsor content if I'm not in a good mood. And I was just thinking to myself, what the hell? How did we get here? How? Why is this my job? And honestly, it's kind of shifted like how I want to think about work because as a mom now, my work seems important in a sense of, okay, I like I have to do this because I want to provide for our child and I want him to have an incredible life. And it, it's given me a whole new drive and a whole new purpose. But it's also 
shifted my mindset in how I want to go about work because I don't want to be working 24 seven. Like I want to be spending time with my son and I want to be putting out work that actually means something to me. And that's helping people. And that's making a difference because I want to be proud of what I'm doing when I tell my son what my job is, honestly. And I think between all of these things, it's changed my mindset on the future of Freckled Foodie and what I want to focus on and having that new goal, concept, idea, whatever you want to call it, to look forward and to work towards in the future has really helped me with letting go of that, what the hell is my job or what the heck am I doing on here mindset and getting down on myself and instead focusing on what I want to do and this potential future and this fun concept and idea and growth. And I don't know, I feel these new vibrations. I don't know what the word is, but I just feel excited and I'm pumped to see what comes of this and to bring you all along on this journey because I love this family so much. Also, one thing I want to talk about, I mentioned this in my stories in my therapy recap, but you know, I get a lot of questioning on how has parenting changed your relationship and how has your marriage changed? And I honestly want to do a whole new solo episode on that because recently I think it's shifted a lot. I think we constantly are finding our new balance and then something new happens with Liam or parenting and it's a whole new adjustment to get used to. And, you know, switching to formula was so crucial for me and my mental health and it gave me so much freedom. But at the same time, it's been a new adjustment for us as parents because now feeding is something that we can both do. It doesn't just fall on me, which is one of the issues with breastfeeding, in my opinion. And there's so much to navigate and the invisible emotional labor is so real and so oftentimes bared by the female in a relationship. This is obviously assuming heteronormativity, which I know is not the case, but that's all I can speak from because I'm in a heterosexual relationship. And so oftentimes the female in a heterosexual relationship takes on this burden of the invisible and emotional labor, such as do we have enough diapers? Do we have enough wipes? What size clothing is he in right now? Do we have clothing for his next size? What season would it be? Are we starting solids soon? What type of food should we get? Do we have groceries? Does he have enough formula? Like, hmm, shoot, do I need to order more formula? I want to make sure we have some on stock. Like just all of those thought processes that go through our mind. And as I was getting ready for this trip, I was thinking about a podcast I had listened to where they said, so oftentimes the woman takes on the burden of this work because they say, well, I just do it better and it's easier for me to just do it than to teach him how to do it. And in the moment, sure, that might save you X amount of time, but that completely devalues the future value of your time because then you're the person doing it every single time in the future. And, you know, I make the pitcher of bottles for Liam in the morning and I was thinking, I, I said this to my therapist, I'm like, I could either teach Joe or just continue to do it or Joe could ask how to learn without me having to say, I should teach you this. And then when I leave, like then what's going to happen? Do I have to sit down and explain it to him? Do I have to like leave notes? And I was like, no, he's a fucking parent to this child as well. And he's a competent human. And this is like an ongoing thing in our relationship. Sometimes I just take control and then it just becomes something that I know how to do and he's not doing it and then I continue to do it and he's like well this isn't really fair because you just kind of took over like instead of taking over why don't you explain it to me so that we both know how to do it and that's something I need to work on and before I left for this trip I was thinking like you know what I don't need to I don't need to leave notes for Joe he is a parent he knows how to parent he knows how to do all of this and like if he doesn't know how to do something he'll figure it out 
Like why? I feel like we just take on such a burden and then it just continues and continues and snowballs. And I left just being like, I love you guys. Have fun. Bye. And I'm proud of myself for doing that. And then I'm also proud of Joe's competence as a parent. Not that I ever doubted him, but like I haven't, I'm not getting text messages. Like, how do I do this? Obviously he's figured it out. And I think that's just an ongoing thing of me relinquishing control, believing in him or other people who are with Liam, realizing that like it doesn't always have to be the way I do things and giving myself some freedom because we're both parents. And I, you know, there's this tweet going around right now that's like, I've never called my husband a working dad, but like, that's what he is. Why, why do we only say that about working moms? So that's just some food for thought. Um, that was my rambling for the day. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Sama. I really loved this episode and I think it went in incredible directions. And we talk about some very timely stuff going on in my mind of just comparing and what is what am I doing with work and how do I continue this and what's the next step. And another thing I said to my therapist today was two of the biggest things in my life were things that I never had control over and they were complete surprises. If you think about my accident, now I'm very able to say that that was a blessing in the time that was obviously hard for me to accept and assess. But that was obviously a surprise and something I did not have control over. And then when I look at Liam and how much I love him and how I just never want to let him go and I want to eat him and I want him by my side 24-7 and the fact that he was a surprise and that that wasn't a situation I controlled, that gives me faith in my future and belief in the universe in an odd like way that feels comforting. I don't know. So anyway, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I love you all. I also wanted to say as I'm creating these new portions of my business and like kind of going in different directions, it's going to be a little less social media focused. So if you're listening to the podcast already and you're hearing this, I freaking love you. Thank you for doing that because this is going to be a very big primary focus for this year. But I also want to make sure that you are subscribed to my newsletter. So I will put it in the show notes. It's also linked in my Instagram bio, but I'm trying to build out my newsletter more. And I mean, I love the newsletter. We do it every other week. Nyla, one of my team members, assists me with it and puts it all together. And it's a fun, in my opinion, accumulation, I guess, of content that I've put out, but also things that I'm loving, whether it's products or shows or podcasts or articles or just reflections or creative writing pieces. I think it's a good one and I'm not flooding your inbox. It's every other Monday and you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. That is always your decision. I love you and I hope you have a wonderful weekend and happy Halloween. And dad, if you're listening, happy birthday. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.